make your way to Luke chapter 7. We'll consider today the first 10 verses of this chapter here in just a few moments in a message entitled A Heart of Faith as we enter into a broader series of messages, renewed generosity in these coming weeks. And I want to lay that out before us today and let you know that there is going to be a print presentation piece that you'll be receiving in the not-too-distant future. And as many of you know, in 2019, we've been celebrating 60 years of the faithfulness of God in the life of Cross Lanes Baptist Church. Our greater theme has been renewed and a focus on Lamentations chapter 3, reminding ourselves that God is faithful in his love toward us, that his mercies never end, and they are renewed to us every single morning. And I would say to you that this is a great time to be at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. If you're thinking about who we are and interested in what motivates us and drives us as a church, these weeks leading up to the end of October are going to help you see the vision of where we're headed together and what we see as important as the local body of Christ. And there is a stewardship subset to this, but the greater emphasis is a spiritual one. We'll think today about faith, and then we're going to consider community, the importance of mission and service, and consistency and diligency in how we live our lives, compassion for other people, the importance of evangelism and taking the gospel to people who need to hear, ultimately all of this being for the glory of God and the upbuilding of his work. Our focal verse as a church is John chapter 15 and verse 5. And Jesus says there, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So our recognition together is a faith statement in and of itself. And we're saying, God, we can do nothing apart from the power of Jesus at work in our lives. Our core values as a church are to love God and to love people as we use our spiritual gifts for the upbuilding of God's kingdom. And we've thought a lot about the disciples' path over the last year or so particularly to help you understand if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, what does that look like in this church? How do you know that you're engaged? How do you know that you're involved and you're on the right path as a disciple of Jesus? And we've narrowed that down to thinking about worship, small group, ministry, and mission. Worship in leading you to worship God as a personal worshiper daily in your devotion to Him. Congregational worship, when we collectively come together like we are today uh, to pray and to sing and to give and to hear from the Word and to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And then the importance of small group, how we come together in community. Ultimately, we're not any stronger uh, together than we are in our strength in community. Are we building those relationships? Are we helping bear one another's burdens? Is that community among us deepening and being developed through how we gather together? And then ministry. Everybody's been spiritually gifted to do something. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has gifted you, and he's given you the ability to do something that would make a contribution to his work. And we want to help you be able to find what that spiritual gift is through service and to be able to implement that in ministry. And then ultimately, we want to continue our work 
in the mission of God and taking the gospel down the street and around the world. So that's our focus, and those are our core values. That's the path that we're taking together. And then there are some core convictions that hold us together. We want to be sure that these aren't our ideas, but these are God's ideas. So our core convictions are a foundation on biblical truth, because the Bible has to inform and drive everything that we do as the people of God. We want to be engaged in passionate praise, because as we draw closer to God, then We're going to draw closer to what he wants for us, and we're also going to draw closer to one another. We have to be focused in our prayers. We'll think about today the importance of faith in our prayers, and we have to be generous so that we have the resources to do the work God has called us to, and then ultimately that involves some intentional outreach. Now, we're pretty simple in the way that we do things around here. We have determinedly not been complicated in how we have structured ourselves because we don't want there to be a hierarchy where there are a few people doing the work and everybody else is a spectator. Uh, We want everybody serving as God has called them to serve. So we describe ourselves as pastor-led collectively, uh, staff-coordinated in terms of how the ministries are carried out, deacon-served, ministry team implemented, and then congregationally accountable. So we're working together in the midst of that uh, so that we are the church God would want us to be, and we're moving forward as he would want us to move forward. Now, we've been blessed in these 60 years of life as a church, particularly since the year 2000. There's some things that I want to highlight among us that you should be aware of, that should encourage you as we move into our next chapter together. Since 2000, there's been more than $16 million that has been contributed for the overall ministry and mission of this church. That's just the goodness of God's people saying, God, you've entrusted this to me. I want to be a good steward with it, so I want to give it back to you. Everything that we do in the life of this church depends on people voluntarily contributing their resources so that we can carry out the work God has called us to. More than $16 million. But on top of that, more than $5 million has been given to overall building efforts. We've doubled our footprint as a church in terms of our facilities. We've modernized our facilities so that they would be useful tools for us um, as we move ahead. Uh, We've improved uh, how we do things and, and the opportunities that we have with these tools God has entrusted us. And in the midst of all of this, we have seen more than 600 people follow Jesus in believer's baptism. That's more than 600 individuals who have called on the name of Christ and been baptized in believer's baptism just since the year 2000. We've partnered together to plant 18 churches. That's 18 new church plants in North America alone in six different states, including West Virginia and then the other states that we've been involved with on mission. And we've served in long-term mission partnerships, not trying to do everything at once, but trying to focus and do some things well. And we have focused and worked physically in nine different nations. That's our people going out, spending their own resources, taking their own vacation time, uh, praying and trusting the Lord to use them on mission around the world. And that's not even to begin to talk about the collective work that we do with like-minded churches. That's just some focused work uh, that I want to highlight together. So with that type of foundation and with 60 years of a strong foundation as a church, we want to continue with some initiatives that are going to help us 
move into the future. We want to deepen our congregational commitment. We want to continue on that path to strengthen disciple-making. We want to grow in our community together. We want to increase that evangelistic fervor uh, individually and collectively. We want to intensify our purposeful prayer, and we want to continue that kingdom multiplication. So God willing, in the years to come, uh, we'll see even more than 600 more people baptized in believers' baptism. We'll see even more than 18 new churches planted. We'll see even more than nine different, church, uh, nine different nations engaged on mission uh, from the people of our church. You say, well, that all sounds good, and that's a lot of information, but how do we know if we're achieving our purpose? How do we know if what we're doing actually counts? How will we be able to measurably evaluate where we're headed? Well, there's some simple ways that are pretty obvious. We'll see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if we're not seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're on the wrong trail. But we're going to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ as we continue in the direction that we're going. Disciples will be developed, and as disciples are developed... Families are going to be strengthened, homes are going to be encouraged, the community is going to be impacted, and we're going to see another generation coming up behind us. And then we're going to see that kingdom multiplication take place, where we're not turned inwardly, where it's all about us. We're not building up our own comfort here, but we continually set our eyes outwardly, because the mission of God is outwardly, and we're recognizing where we need to head as the people of God. So what we're thinking about in these next couple of months together is very much a spiritual emphasis, as I said, with a stewardship component. Of the $6 million in expansion that we have undertaken with our properties and our facilities here, we have remaining about $980,000 in debt regarding all of those projects that we have undertaken. Our goal is to go ahead and eliminate that. Uh, you have given above and beyond. And let me just pause and say, thank you. You have done well. We would not have gotten to the point that we have gotten to had it not been for your faithfulness and your willing to sacrifice and your willingness to go above and beyond. And I know it's not a real exciting goal to finish off what we started, but it's important for this reason. It will continue to free up more resources for us to do more in the kingdom. It will free up our resources so that we can continue to be assertive in church planting and we can continue to keep our facilities as they should be and sharpen our tools that God has blessed us with. And as we have in the past, there's going to be a small mission component that's included in this that you'll see when you receive the information. And that mission component is just to remind us all the stuff that we see and the things that we can touch and the things that we're involved with, these are just tools. And they're not going to last. They're not permanent. But what we're investing for is something that is permanent and is lasting. Now, we've got a stewardship philosophy at Cross Lanes Baptist that has kind of been in the background. And I don't know that I've ever communicated it exactly this way. Uh, but I want to communicate it this way just to help you understand how we think. This is our uh, philosophy of stewardship, if you will. We teach and we trust. We teach and we trust. And here's what I mean by that. We teach God's people about the importance of their spiritual walk and how stewardship fits into that. And then we trust the Lord as he leads. So we don't talk about money specifically a whole lot because you're faithful. You, you hear it when it's taught. 
The Spirit of God stirs you to give what you need to give. You're not going to find any guilt trips at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. And nobody's going to put pressure on you, twist any arms, beg you, plead with you, any of that stuff. We're going to lay it out there in front of you. We're going to teach you about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, people don't give to a budget. They give to a vision. People don't give so that bills can be paid. People give so that God's kingdom can be advanced. And as we have that philosophy, God has always been faithful. He's always provided what we needed. And when it's all said and done, not only does he provide what we need, but he provides for us even more than we need to do his work. So as has been past practice, we're going to ask you to give up front, and then we're going to ask you to make a commitment above and beyond your regular giving. And as you receive that, we just simply ask you to prayerfully consider how the Lord could continue to use you. And listen, I understand some of you, this has been a marathon. And we have been involved in successive efforts as a church. And as I've communicated in the church, to the church in the past, not only has our family been involved in successive efforts here, but even prior to the almost 17 years that we have spent with you, we were involved in the very same thing. So we get it. We understand this is the long game. We understand that many of you have continued to sacrifice and you've been asked to sacrifice again. And yet you said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to give what I can and I'm going to trust that you're going to use that. And I know that's what you're going to do in the days ahead. So hang in there, be strong and know that the Lord uh, will use us in that. Now, a significant part of it is prayer and the emphasis on prayer and fasting. Uh, the list is circulating now, even among the congregation. And we want to focus on that in these coming days and ask the Lord what he would want for us as we move ahead as the people of God. So let's take our remaining time together now and look at Luke chapter 7 together on a heart of faith. And I want to pray and then I'm going to read the scripture and we'll get into what the Lord might have to teach us through this. Uh, Father, we thank you for the blessing you've given us and what a great church this is. What a blessing it has been to be a part of the work in recent years. And Lord, we got a strong foundation. We've got people who were willing far back 60 years ago to put their very livelihoods on the line so that we could be here today enjoying the blessings that we are. So we just pause to say, Father, thank you for the shoulders that we stand on. Many of them are around your throne in heaven. Lord, their, their time on this earth is over, but they were the faithful Sunday school teachers and they worked with children and they took care of our facilities and they sang and they gave and they prayed and encouraged. And Lord, we just say thank you for those brothers and sisters. And I pray that if God, your will would be that 60 more years would pass in the life of this church before Jesus comes, that there would be a new generation in that day that would look back and say, there were some people that cared deeply about the mission of God. There were some people who were willing to serve and sacrifice and to continue on in the great legacy of this church. So we pray to that end, and we ask you now, Jesus, that you would help us to understand what a heart of faith really is. And as we understand what a heart of faith is, that we would be more faithful. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is referring to Jesus. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him requesting him to come and save the life 
of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Verse 6. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I don't even, didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Jesus concluded what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And he left the plains where he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he came to the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a place where Jesus performed many miracles in and around, and it became sort of his adopted hometown. There was a centurion there, a man who was in the Roman army. He was a commander of 100 soldiers. There were many centurions in the Roman army. They were equivalent to what we might refer to as a captain in an army today. The particular centurion who is referenced here was apparently well-liked and respected by the Jewish people in and around Capernaum, and we'll see why again in just a moment. But the centurion had a situation. Have you ever had a situation? Have you ever had a problem so great that you didn't know what to do? You were in a bit of a desperate circumstance. You needed an intervention from God, so you cried out to God, for it, and you ask him to help you. That was the circumstance this centurion found himself in. The servant of this man was extremely sick and about to die, but yet the centurion had faith that Jesus would heal his servant. Now, here's the big idea I want you to walk out of here with this morning. If you missed everything I said and you missed the rest of what I have to say, I want you to walk out of here with this idea today. In order to please Jesus... I need to grow a heart of faith. In order to please Jesus, I need to grow a heart of faith. Now, if we're honest about our capabilities, we would say that we have the inability to help ourselves in many circumstances in life. We are helpless, and sometimes we feel like we are hopeless. But when we look to God and we begin to think about who he is and what he's capable of doing, we see the capability of God. Now watch this. The space between your inability and God's capability is where faith comes into action. The space between your inability and God's capability is where faith comes into action. And when we recognize our need, then God can help us in our circumstance and he can answer our need. So what I want to show you in just the next few moments 
are three conditions of faith which will help us grow in our faith. And the first condition is that faith is expressed through asking. Faith is expressed through asking. It says in verse 3 that when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some of the Jewish elders to him requesting Jesus to come and to heal his servant, to save his life. Now, it is extraordinary that a Gentile, a leader of a portion of the occupying army, would even ask Jewish elders to help him, much less ask Jesus to help him. But these representatives went willingly, and they went to Jesus, and they pled with Jesus earnestly on behalf of the centurion. Now, there's no doubt what these Jewish leaders thought about this particular centurion. In fact, verses 4 and 5 tell us that they believed the man to be worthy for Jesus to grant the need because he loved their nation and he had even built them a synagogue. He cared about the people. They saw that there was a genuine concern from the centurion on their behalf and he had built them a synagogue for worship. Now you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What I want to highlight here in the centurion's request and in the words of Jesus is the ask. The ask is incredibly important when it comes to faith. Perhaps the easiest condition of faith is the asking because we're told everyone who asks receives so you're sitting there thinking well at times i've asked and i didn't receive or i'm sitting here with a need shouldn't god know already that i have this need why is god not helping me why is god not intervening in my circumstance why is god not providing what i think i need Well, we learn a little bit more insight from James, who tells us why we sometimes don't have. And he says in James chapter 4 and verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So at times we don't have what we think we should have because we simply fail to ask. We don't recognize the very most basic condition in all of our faith, and that is that we need to ask God of what we need. But then James goes on and says, you ask and you do not receive. Listen to this. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes you don't have because you ask with the wrong motivations. And then sometimes you don't have when you ask simply because it's not the will of God. It's not in your best interest. And God being the sovereign God, God being the one who sees the entire panoramic view of your life, God being the one who sees every single detail and how all these details work together, God seeing what his best and perfect and highest plan is for your life says no or wait. And yet he tells us, we're supposed to ask. I read in part of the story about Hudson Taylor, the great missionary of yesteryear to China, about a circumstance when he was on his way to begin his missionary work, and the ship that he was in was in great danger. The wind had died down, and the current 
was carrying this ship toward reefs on an island where cannibals resided. They were so close to this island where these cannibals resided by the time they got in this desperate situation that they can look and right on the shoreline of, of that island were the cannibals and the very fires that they were burning. And he knew he was in a desperate situation. So Hudson Taylor, after everything had been done that could be done from a human perspective, goes to his captain, the captain of the ship. And the captain said, as Taylor recorded in his journal, well, we've done everything that can be done. Here's what Hudson Taylor said. A thought occurred to me and I replied, no, there's one thing we've not yet done. What is it? The captain asked. Taylor said, four of us on board are Christians. Let each of us retire to his own cabin and in agreed prayer, ask the Lord to give us an immediate breeze. So they did. Taylor prayed briefly, comes back out of his cabin, certain that the answer was coming. He goes up on deck and he says to the, to the first officer there on the ship, set the sails. He says, what are you talking about? Set the sails. That's not going to do any good. He answers him roughly. What good is that going to do at all? You see, Taylor knew something. He knew that because he had asked that an answer from God was coming. And within minutes, the wind began to blow and it carried them safely past the reefs. And here's what he wrote in his journal as a response to that. Thus God encouraged me landing on China's shores to bring every variety of need to him in prayer and to expect that he would honor the name of the Lord Jesus and give the help each emergency required. Now friends, knowing that our prayers touch the heart of a loving Heavenly Father and then he can meet our every need, we must be confident when we cry out to God in prayer that we ask. Hudson Taylor was praying for the wind to set sail to that physical ship so that they could get to their destination. But when was the last time that as a church we prayed that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow through this church and that we would set our sails to God so that God would take us to where we need to go? That's what we're in need of today. We're in need of the ask. We can't rest on the past. Yes, the past gives us a strong foundation. Yes, we are grateful for the past. Yes, we praise God for what he's done in the past. But what we need today is we need a fresh wind to blow through this place so that God would set ourselves and that we would go in the direction that God wants us to go. That's what we need. It's all about the ask. And here's the centurion asking Jesus to heal his servant. The first condition is that faith is expressed through asking. Condition number two, faith is rooted in humility. Verse six says, when Jesus went with them and he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't even trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. So this delegation communicates once again with Jesus, a different set of people who come out from the house. Don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy for you to come here. And here's what I think. I think that centurion, even in his limited knowledge, 
had enough of a perspective of God and enough of a respect for God that he, in his humility, knew how to approach God. You understand, when we know how to approach God, what we're recognizing is God is holy and we are needy. And you know who God helps? God helps people who are poor in spirit. In fact, the Bible says that God brings down those who are exalted, especially those who exalt themselves. And God lifts up and he raises up those who are humble. So we don't want to be the people that God brings down because our hearts are prideful before God. We want to be the people that God lifts up. And we want to be hungry and we want to be poor in spirit. And and when we're occupied with ourselves, we get ourselves in a whole bunch of trouble. Because we're not depending on God as we should be depending on God. You remember the story of blind Bartimaeus in the scripture? You can read about it sometime in Mark chapter 10. Blind Bartimaeus was a desperate man. He couldn't see. But he had heard about Jesus, evidently. The message and the news about Jesus traveled fast. You can imagine there was kind of continual chatter in all of Judea when Jesus began to work and to heal and to love and to transform. And blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming. And when Jesus got near to where he was, he began to shout to Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, why was I created this way? Or Jesus, why am I blind? God, why have you done nothing on my behalf? Don't you know the desperate circumstance that I am in? Certainly you would intervene and Get me out of this circumstance. I deserve it. That's not what blind Bartimaeus said. When he cried out to Jesus, what he cried out to Jesus was, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was a man who humbled himself. That was a man who recognized his desperate need for the mercy of Jesus, that Jesus would be good and gracious to him. And you know what happened when the people tried to silence him? They're like, stop that, stop that. He got louder, and he kept crying out to the Lord, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus received his sight. You see, God acts on the behalf of the people who humble themselves in faith and come to him and ask. Faith is rooted in humility. And we've got to always remember that because that's what God desires for us. Then the third condition Faith focuses on expectation. We've got the ask. We've got the posture. And now we've got the expectation of the circumstance. And the centurion said, according to verse 7, say the word and my servant will be cured. The the centurion said, look, I'm a man who 
is under authorities and, and, and I've got soldiers who are under my command and I say go and he goes and I say come and he comes. He understood how this whole structure worked. He understood that when he had the ability to do something and somebody asked him to do it or he asked them to do it, they could respond and it would be done. He had the expectation. If he said go, they would go. If they, he said come, they would come. And he was just saying to Jesus, Jesus, listen. If I can do this, then I know for sure I have an expectation that you can do what I'm asking you to do. So when we're asking in faith, we're doing it with the right posture, but we are believing that it's going to come to pass. And up to this point, there have been a lot of activity. There have been delegations that have gone out to meet Jesus. Jesus had approached the home. But most importantly in all of this is that this centurion had a sense of expectation. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22 says, And whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and is the proof of what is not seen. Verse 6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. This is the sum and substance of what real faith looks like. Now don't miss this. The object of my faith and the object of your faith must be God himself. This is not general, generic faith. This is directed faith toward the God of the universe. God does not expect you to have great faith. God expects you to have faith in a great God. He does not expect you to stir up within yourself this huge measure of faith that somehow something's going to come to pass. He's not talking about some mumbo-jumbo where we're uh, through some type of repetition or just stirring it up and somehow by our fervor and our excitement and our emotionalism that it's going to come to pass. It could be the quietest of all requests. It could be the most humble of all petitions before the throne of God. But it's a mentality of coming before God and saying, God, I am small. I am incapable. But you are great and you are strong and you are capable and I believe. That's what real faith looks like. And in fact, I'd say to you, that's the kind of circumstances that God specializes in working through. He delights in that type of humble faith with expectation. It says when Jesus heard this, verse 9, he was amazed. Now can we just pause for a moment and be amazed that Jesus was amazed? I mean, is there anything that would amaze Jesus? He has existed from eternity past. He was there in the active agent when, when all of creation was called into being. By the very word of God, when all that is was made, Jesus was there. And yet he's amazed at a man's faith. Do you know there's only two times in the New Testament where it says that Jesus was amazed? The other time was the converse side of this because he was beginning his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And his fellow Jews rejected him. And Mark chapter 6 and verse 6 says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. So let's just see the contrast here for a moment. Jesus is amazed for their lack of faith. 
And now in this circumstance, Jesus is amazed at their faith. Which would you rather have Jesus amazed at in your life? Your lack of faith or your faith? Now remember, this man was a Gentile. He didn't have the benefit of understanding the fullness of the covenant of God. He didn't necessarily have all of that background. He was interested toward it, obviously, by his involvement with the synagogue, but he was a soldier, and he was an instrument of a pagan government, and he was well off. He built a synagogue for them, and we don't know whose all resources he used for that, but what we do know about him is that his faith was certain. So this type of faith, this, this faith of expectation that, that comes to God and asks, and this kind of faith that comes in humility, that's not a faith that's reserved for people that are way down the road in their Christian faith. This is not somebody that has to have been a follower of Jesus for 50 years to employ this kind of faith. This is for all of us because God is the one who acts on our faith, and our faith should be of such a measure that Jesus is amazed. And your faith should focus on expectation. What are we expecting God to do? I opened the message this morning by recounting the faithfulness of God to us as his people over the past 60 years. And as we look back over our own individual lives as well, we can see the hand of God patiently, faithfully, and lovingly guiding us along the way. But now what I want to ask you about is, is what about the present and what about the future? Yes, we have something solid to work from, but what are we anticipating God to do? And I close with this question. If everything in our lives and in the life of this church currently that we are not doing by faith went away in an instant, what would remain? If everything that we're just going through the motions, we're just doing it because we know to do it or it's the right thing to do, but we're not doing it by faith, if it just went away in an instant, what would be left? Like, what are we seeing in the ongoing life of this church and the ministries and the mission? What are we seeing that, that is an obvious evidence that the power of God is upon us, that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work through us, that the power of the Word of God is transforming us so that we're becoming more like Jesus and that more and more disciples are being drawn to the Savior because He is worthy and He is the great treasure of the gospel. What about those things are we seeing? And maybe the follow-up to that would be, you know, sometimes in a church, and in our own lives, it means we have to really think through our priorities. What needs to stay? What needs to go? What needs to remain? What needs to change? And through it all, we do it by faith. The heart of faith. May God develop that in us all. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Oh, Father, we come to you in humility, recognizing our inability, but your capability to do everything that is in accordance with your character and your perfect will and your word that has been revealed to us. And we just say, have mercy on us and help us. Lord, I pray that a fresh wind would blow through this place. 
And it will be so evident that it's your power, it's your hand that's at work among us. Lord, make it so. Make the next season of the life of this church greater than any we've ever experienced before. We honor you, Jesus, and we lift up your name. And I pray now of their decisions that need to be made. Maybe some folks are sitting here thinking about their life priorities. I pray they would continue to think about that in the week to come. And if there are things that need to be changed, uh, things that need to be laid aside, new things that need to be introduced in terms of their faithfulness and obedience, I pray they would take those steps. And maybe there's some folks here today that haven't met Jesus. They don't know what it means to be a disciple. I pray they would come now and as we close out the service so we'd have opportunity to introduce them to the Savior. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.